Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. As we say every week, we have Bibles in the seat somewhere around you, either underneath you or in front of you there. And you can find Luke 12 on page 727 in those Bibles there. This morning, uh, we are continuing our series in the life of Christ, walking through the gospel of Luke together. And we come to a passage where Jesus is going to talk about the issues of anxiety, fear, and worry. Have you heard much about those lately? Do you struggle with those things in your life? I know I do almost every single day. I was researching this this week and I came across the top 20 things that Americans worry about. I'm not gonna share all of them, but see if you worry about some of these things. Americans are worried about the area they live in, the crime levels there. We're worried about whether we're good parents, about whether we're raising our kids right. We're worried about whether our spouse still loves us. We're worried about whether we're attractive enough. Worried about our physique, about wrinkles, about aging appearance. We're worried about our job security. We're worried about credit card debt. We're worried about low energy levels. And then the number one and two worries of Americans are we're worried about our financial future and we're worried about getting old in general and what that all means. We live in a society that is built on worry. There is not one of us in this room, I guarantee, that does not at some point struggle with worry. Now maybe the most ironic thing about worry is that lately health experts have been telling us that worry actually damages our health. And so listen, how ironic is that? We need to start worrying about worrying, right? Worrying is everywhere. So what do we do with all this worry? Well, thankfully, Jesus wants to speak into this, and he will in this passage. Again, this week, as I'm looking at this, it just dawns on me. It's amazing to me how relevant the Bible still is, right? I mean, we're talking about worry, something every single American deals with. And here Jesus takes that up, starting in Luke 12, verse 22. And what he's going to talk about is the lie behind worry. The truth that the disciple can embrace when it comes to worry and how we can begin to live that truth out in our lives. So let's talk first about the lie of worry. Now just to set the scene, Luke 12:22 is really a continuation of last week's passage that Chuck preached on. Were you here last week? Raise your hand if you're here. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, amazing word from Chuck. Now if you remember... In that story, Jesus was in the middle of teaching his disciples when he's interrupted in verse 13 by a man from the crowd. This man wanted Jesus to mediate a dispute that he and his brother were having over some property. But instead of answering the question directly, as Jesus likes to do, he tells a parable. He tells the parable of the rich fool. And so Chuck finished that section, and we come to 1222. It's really important to understand this. He now returns back to his discussion with his disciples at this point. And so we pick it up in verse 22. Let's read this out loud on your notes along with verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now those are more than just nice words. I mean, this is before Bob Marley's song, right? This was real life for Jesus' disciples. To be a disciple in this day meant that you were always living on the edge. You did not know where your next meal was coming from. You did not have a closet of clothes to go home to from which to choose. You traveled constantly, unsure of how your daily needs might be met. And it's to these very people, Jesus says, do not let worry direct your life. Now, if you remember last week in that parable, Jesus addresses the lie, if you were here, that by grasping after an abundant of possessions, that we will find the abundant life, right? That's the lie Jesus is addressing there. It was all about greed, We believe that by getting more stuff, we will find satisfaction. And if that's the lie you believe, Jesus said these words in verse 15. If you have your Bible, you can look back up there. He said, be on guard against greed, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So that was the lie from last week. Then in verse 22, Jesus turns to his disciples now, and he really gives us the opposite side of greed, which is worry. If greed is believing I can never get enough, worry is believing I will never have enough. That I will never have enough to be secure. If you're following on your notes there, the lie of worry is I won't have enough. Now this can come out in many other ways, right? It's not just about money now. It can come out in things like I won't be enough. What are they going to think about me? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be safe in this situation? If I could sum it up in one word, the word I would choose to use to describe this is scarcity. Scarcity. Whatever it is I think I need to be secure, I'm unsure that I'll ever have enough. And so, I worry. To put it in perspective, these last two weeks here, I made a little continuum for us to think about here. On one side of the continuum is greed. Chuck talked about that last week, right? This idea that if I just grasp after more and more things, that's where I'll find satisfaction. On the other side, which is what we're addressing this morning, is this idea of scarcity. That I just will never have enough. Now let me give you some examples of scarcity in Scripture if you're trying to picture this. You remember when the Israelites come to the promised land that God had given them, and they send in the 12 spies, and the 12 spies come back and say, this is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. God's providing. However, you need to know something. There's giants in the land. And when they hear this, they begin to fear and worry and get anxious and they decide that they can't take the land that God has promised that is scarcity. When David takes a census of his armies, something God had forbidden him to do, that is scarcity at work. When Peter denies Jesus three times, 
in order to protect himself, that is scarcity at work when the rich young ruler walks away. That is scarcity at work, believing security comes with what he has. I'm reading the letter to the Hebrews right now in my morning devotions. This whole letter is written to a church that's thinking about maybe leaving Christ because of the persecution that they're facing. And the writer's encouraging them to stand firm in what they know to be true. Why would they leave Christ? Scarcity. Security. Now, in each of these cases, the result of believing the lie of scarcity is trusting that something or someone other than God can bring security. Did you hear that? Trusting that something or someone other than God can bring security to our lives. And that's an important, important point here. At the heart of scarcity is worry and a desire for security. We worry, bottom line, because we want to be in control. Right? We worry because we want to be in control. We want to know the outcome. We want to know how it's all going to turn out. And so we fear that we won't have enough. And so we cling to those things that bring us security. Do you ever see this come up in your own life? Now, I'll just admit to you right now this morning, this is a huge personal struggle of mine. Part of the reason for that, I've never shared this before, but I grew up in a family that, even though it was never mentioned, there was always this, like, cloud of scarcity that hung over us. Like, we knew as kids that we were living, like, paycheck to paycheck. Like, going out to McDonald's was a gigantic deal for us. And so I grew up with this idea that I, I've got to be safe and I've got to be secure. That means having a really big savings account. I don't ever want to have that cloud over my life that I experienced as a young person. I got to tell you, though, this still rears its head today. This scarcity complex, right? Even sharing what I shared with you earlier this morning is really hard for me because it comes out of this desire for security, right? I don't want to put myself out there on the line. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I don't want to have to worry about those kinds of things. Now, we've been talking about the coaches that some of us as pastors have a chance to be with. They call this the temptation of provision. Anytime we act out of a fear of not having enough, we are succumbing to the temptation of provision. This is the same temptation Jesus went through when Satan tempted him to turn those stones into bread, right? Aren't you hungry? Don't you want to provide for yourself here? They give some examples of when this temptation might be at work in our lives. This cut me to the heart here. Number one, when we can't seem to throw anything out just in case we need it, scarcity might be at work. Number two, when we only buy the cheapest versions of goods and services we need, scarcity might be at work. Number three, this one, so true of me, when we feel sick to our stomachs when we need to use our savings account to pay for a car repair, scarcity might be at work. Number four, when we try to appease people instead of setting boundaries or having difficult conversations, scarcity might be at work. Number five, when we can't imagine offering our house for our small group to meet in because we're afraid of the energy that it might take, scarcity might be at work. Literally, the word Jesus uses here for worry is to be torn apart. 
to be torn in two, to go in two directions. That's what worry does, doesn't it? It pulls us into two competing directions. Worry loads the present with the weight of the future, as one person said. It loads the present with the weight of the future. It always causes us to be pulled in two directions. We're living in a world of what ifs, and because this is true, Jesus tells his disciples, if you're on your notes, that worry can keep us from wholehearted discipleship. Literally, it can divide your heart. Worry can keep us from wholehearted discipleship. Literally, it can tear your heart in two. And so Jesus says, don't believe the lie of worry. Don't let it run your life because that quest for security can keep you from becoming the disciple who follows me all the way to the cross. Worry can prevent us from making courageous decisions, from living confidently in our identity in Christ. It can prevent us from following Jesus where he asks us to go. These are not to be the characteristics of a disciple of Christ. Why? Well, in the verses that follow, Jesus tells us the answer. In fact, I'll give you the answer before we look at the verses together. If the lie of worry is I will not have enough, whatever it is that I think is enough, and whatever it is I think I need, the truth, the truth is, if you're on your notes, God knows exactly what we need and loves to provide it. We sang about this very truth this morning. Can we say that out loud together? Say it in the first person. God knows exactly what I need and loves to provide it. To make his point, Jesus gives three illustrations starting in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Ravens were considered unclean animals, according to the law. Jesus' point is, even if God feeds unclean animals, how much more will he take care of you? You have been, who have been created in his image. You disciples who have been called into his family. Now listen, Jesus isn't suggesting that we sit around and do nothing and food will magically appear. Birds are some of the hardest working animals on earth, right? The point is, just as God takes care of the birds, giving them the ability to work, he has given us the same thing. He has taken care of us. He will provide for our needs. His next illustration is in verse 25. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I love that. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Isn't that what we think worry does though? We think that when we worry, we're in control. I'm adding time to my life. But as we already saw, when we worry, we're not the ones in control. We're being controlled. We're being controlled. And if the health studies are correct, not only are we not adding time to our lives, we're actually probably taking time away from our lives with worry. You see, the mortality rate remains at a steady 100%. Did you know that? And even those who eat healthy and exercise regularly have no control of when they will die. Now listen, doesn't mean we shouldn't do those things. I do those things. The Lord says your body is a temple. You take care of your body, but it does lead us to ask the question of why I'm doing that. 
Am I doing that out of a sense of being faithful to the instrument, to the vessel God has given me? Or am I doing those things out of a scarcity, out of a security thing? No amount of worry can extend the days the Lord has for you. He holds your life in his hands. And listen, I don't know what that does for you right now. Maybe that even causes you to worry right now. It shouldn't. It should give you absolute calm and peace and relief because God knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and he will always provide it. Who of you, by worrying, can extend a single hour of your life? Trust. Trust me. I'm in control. Three, starting in verse 27, his next illustration. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Once again, Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater, right? If God feeds birds, he'll surely feed his children. If he beautifies the plants that grow up one day and are cut down the next, surely he will take care of you. I have said this already, but I have struggled much of my life with worry. It used to be really bad. I've been able to claim some victory in this in my life by doing a number of things that I'm just going to share with you. The first thing that's really important when it comes to worry, and I think this all leads into this truth we're talking about here, is I would often wake up in the morning or go throughout my day, and there would just be this cloud of dread that would hang over me, and I would let it hang over me. One thing I realized, though, is that we are to take things that are in the darkness and expose them to the light. And so I started digging into my own life and saying, what is the specific thing I'm worried about right now? And I would name it. You don't know how powerful that is to expose the darkness and bring it into the light. So naming the very thing that I'm worried about, giving that to God, casting my anxiety upon him. And then I would play this little game. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen if I share what God laid on my heart this morning? Well, somebody could walk out. Somebody could be mad. You're still called to do that. It's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4, right? When he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have seen tremendous growth in my life. I'm not over it, but I have seen tremendous growth simply by naming the worry and then casting that on the Lord and remembering he holds my life in his hands. He knows exactly what I need, and he loves to provide it. Again, the message is the same in all three of these illustrations. God knows what you need, and he will provide it. The next question becomes, how can we start living into this? How do we win over the lie of worry? To that, Jesus gives two answers. The first one is started at the end of verse 28 when Jesus exclaims, You of little faith. At its heart, worry is a lack of faith in God's provision. And as disciples, as sons and daughters of the living God, we are not to worry. We are to, number one, trust. Trust. 
Trust that God will take care of all our needs. That means first trusting that God knows what I need even more than I do. Oh, that's hard. Because I think I know what I need to be secure. Second, it means trusting that he will actually meet those needs. Jesus hammers this home starting in verse 29. He says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't miss that. Obsessive worry is actually pagan. Obsessive worry is actually pagan, according to Jesus. We're not to worry as God's children. We are to live like Christians, Christians who trust that our Father is taking care of us. For much of the Gospel of Luke, if you've been here, Jesus has been talking all about his Father, this Father that can become our Father. This Father, as we learned a few weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer, who will always get up for his children, who is a good father, and who will give us exactly what we need. As 1 Peter 5, 7 says on your notes there, that's why we can cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Maybe your father didn't care for you. We have a father who is perfect and good and always gets up and cares for us. To the very end. That's why we can cast our worries upon him. Friends, I am convinced that this is one of the primary ways that we can stand out in this world as Christians. It's this idea of worry, right? If you're following on your notes there, trusting God with our worry is a way we'll stand out in this worry. Does that make sense? Like if I don't know the care of the Father, of course I'm going to be worried. But if I'm under his care and watch and concern, what do I have to worry about? It doesn't mean that worry is not going to come. Like the point here isn't that every time I go down to Barnes to get a kidney checkup that I shouldn't worry. That's a bad thing. No, I'm going to worry. I always get nervous about sharing about my kidney stuff because I'm not looking for pity. I just want you to understand something. This is real life, right? We don't stand up on stage and don't go through the same things that some of you are going through right now. I mean, you just shared about your husband going through those things. I want to share, though, from where my life really is. And I worry. Every time I step foot in that office, I worry what he's going to say. However, it's at that moment where I expose that to the light. I cast my anxiety on my father. And I recognize something that's going to distinguish me from maybe every other patient he has today is this confident trust that I am being taken care of. This is a way we can stand out in this world. When worry comes, we step into trust. It doesn't mean we won't still have it. It doesn't mean we won't still be anxious. It does mean, however, we have a father who knows exactly what I need. Even in a doctor's office at Barnes Jewish Hospital. And he loves to provide it for me. To worry means uh, not trusting in the character and purposes of God. I love how Kina put it in her poem, right? To know that our Father is capable and committed to providing 
Exactly what we need. Knowing this, we can be liberated from scarcity and the desire for security. We are free instead, as Jesus says here, to seek his kingdom. That's the thing we need most. That's the thing we need most. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the good news of God coming in the person of Jesus Christ, inviting us into a relationship with him. The kingdom is the reign and rule of God here on earth, both now and forevermore. And Jesus says it's when you seek his kingdom first that all these things will be added to you. Trusting, if you're on your notes, means seeking his kingdom first, making it our priority. Making his commands, his desires, his gospel, the center of what we are and desire to be. Please don't miss this. It's only when we make his kingdom first in our lives that the promise of God's provision in our lives manifests itself out. So many people have taken this verse in Matthew 6.33, which is the sister verse, and misquoted it. I think it's one of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible, right? I've seen too many Christians who have wrenched it from the context and made it say something like this. If I seek God's kingdom first, he'll give me all the stuff I want to. Kent Hughes shares a story. He saw an expensive ski boat with Matthew 6.33 emblazoned on the hole. The driver was announcing to the world that he had this ski boat because God was first in his life. That's not what this means at all. What this means is that when we make seeking God's kingdom our priority, then the promise that God knows exactly what we need and loves to provide it will manifest itself in your life. It is as we trust. It is as we trust, as we walk out of worry into trust that God actually begins to provide for our needs. For example, maybe God is asking you to be a bridge builder in our city in some way. Maybe you read that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.20 and go, yeah, I need to be an ambassador. I need to be ambassador of reconciliation. Now, I don't know about you, but I start thinking about that stuff and I start to worry well, what does that mean? What's that going to look like? Is it going to be scary? Am I going to be uncomfortable? Yes, 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 and yes. And God's word to me here and to us, if that's what you struggle with, is it's as you step into that worry that all these things will be added to you. Never, almost never does God take away our worry before we step into trust. Have you learned that? He almost never takes away our worry first. He always waits for us to step into trust. I mean, I just finished my dissertation. I'm done. Officially done. Hooray. I did the whole thing on the importance of Christian history in the life of believers here, right? And what every single person we studied has in common, every great hero of Christian history that we believe, is not that they were extraordinary. It was that they were ordinary people who worried and had anxiety just like us, but they stepped into the kingdom. And as they did, God provided what they needed to take the next step into the kingdom and to take the next step into the kingdom. It is only as we step into his kingdom, trust that that's what we need most, that he will meet us there and provide for what we need. I have learned the hard way. 
I have let worry keep me from so many things. My word to you, Jesus' word to us is don't let worry keep you from wholehearted discipleship. Trust me and step into whatever it is I'm calling you to step into in my kingdom. Second way to defeat this lie is a little more active. It's found in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I love this, and it freaks me out at the same time as a scarcity person. Jesus tells his followers, number two, if you're following, that a life of generosity will free us from worry. Really? Instead of scarcity, Steve, move towards generosity and you'll see. Instead of fear, move towards trust and I'll meet you there. Instead of withholding, thinking that will bring security, open up your hands and give your life away. Generosity flows from confidence that God knows exactly what I need and he loves to provide it. So rather than being occupied with the buildup of treasures on earth that can't really bring happiness or security, disciples are to be concerned with ensuring that we possess treasures in heaven which last forever. This is done by sharing what we have, by being generous with everything. Listen, not just our money, but with our time, with our lives, with our possessions. To put it in our language here, it's about being hospitable people. Opening our lives up for the benefit of others. Being the neighbors in this world God has called us to be. Why? Because this world is temporary. It is not my home. My home is eternal. And the way for me to store wealth here is to store it in heaven. I really believe Jesus is speaking in this last part to both groups of people that we've seen the last two weeks. He's speaking to those who believe that an abundance of possession, by grasping after an abundance of possessions, I will find happiness. And he's speaking to those who think by holding on to these things in life, I will find happiness, right? Jesus allows, we need material things, but a greater abundance of those is not gonna lead to a greater abundance of life, nor does it lead to greater peace and security as the lie of worry tells us it does. For both of these people, Jesus has to say, be generous. If you're following on your notes, generosity frees us from greed and worry by bringing Here's the word, contentment. On the continuum, it looks pretty much just like this. Greed, no, that doesn't bring contentment. Scarcity doesn't bring contentment. Generosity is what brings contentment. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So check that out. Paul has experienced both, right? He's experienced having a lot, and he's experienced having nothing. And he says, I've experienced the secret of being content. What's the secret, Paul? 
It's giving my life away for the kingdom. It's giving my life away for the kingdom. For the king and his purposes in this world. Friends, as we close and spend some time in reflection, here's the question we need to ask ourselves as Jesus' disciples. If you're on your notes, will I trust God knows what I need, even more than you do, and loves to provide it by seeking his kingdom first in my life and practicing generosity, giving my life away for the king and for his kingdom? As we have often practiced here now, we are going to take God's word and we are going to let it sift us. We are going to let it pierce to bone and marrow. We are going to let it teach and correct and rebuke and encourage us now. We are just going to sit under the authority of his word in the power and presence of his spirit. What does he want to say to you this morning? Disciple. I'll give us about a minute and close us in prayer. like in this series in Luke, you're reminding us again and again that you are a good father who knows what we need as your children and that you love to provide. So we don't need to grasp after an abundance of possessions to find satisfaction, nor do we need to worry. find our security in something or someone other than you. We are set free. We are set free to trust who you are and your promises to us. And we are set free to be generous, to give our lives away for the one who gave his life away for us, his life away for us. This is where we will find peace and joy and gladness. This is where we will find contentment. Help us to stand apart in this world. 
as people who trust you and remember you are a good father who provides exactly what we need when we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.